0: Do you ever have a hard time finding just the right words to say? Uh, When I was growing up, my friend Mark had a couple of horses and they were out one day, they came home, a thunderstorm had, had blown through that afternoon and they found that one of their horses had been struck by lightning and it was dead in the middle of the field. As you can imagine, it was a very traumatic um, situation. And some of their neighbors heard what had happened. And so uh, one family came over that night just to offer their condolences and to hopefully provide some words of comfort. And the mom, um, not really knowing what to say, Um, told my friend, hey, I am so sorry that this happened, Mark. That must have been such a shocking experience. And her son looked at her and said, mom. And about that moment, she realized what she had just said. And she started apologizing. She tried to take those words back. Um, But fortunately, the the Strickland's are some of the most gracious people um, I've ever met. And so they just kind of started laughing at this woman's um, poor, unfortunate choice of, of words. But I imagine that we have all been in a situation like that, haven't we? Like we've we've all had a time where where we couldn't find just the right words to say. And instead of just being silent and not saying anything, we say something that immediately we wish that we could just like take back. We wish that we could just hit this giant reset button and and make it all just, just go away. It's like the old adage says, better to remain silent and be thought a fool than to speak and remove all doubt. And I know there have been many times in my life uh, where I have spoken and removed any doubt that someone may have if I am a fool at times. Uh, There are moments in life though that leave us just struggling to find the right words to say. Sometimes these moments are of elation and we just we cannot find words to capture the joy that we feel. Other times they are moments of deep pain that leave us bewildered that leave us speechless. And the good news for us is that in those times when we can't put language to our emotions, God listens to our hearts. And like He wants us to be able to use His words. It's one of the powerful parts of prayer. But in those moments where we cannot find just the right words to say, the Holy Spirit intercedes on our behalf. God listens to our hearts. Paul, the apostle, tells us in, in Romans chapter 8, verse 26, that the Holy Spirit intercedes for us. With, with wordless, when we have nothing but wordless groans, the Holy Spirit interprets those for us on our behalf before the Father. And in addition to the Spirit, God has also given us his word, and in, in particular, the book of Psalms. The Psalms give voice to our worship and our prayers when we have a hard time finding just the right words to say. The the Psalms give voice to to the spectrum of emotions. They give voice to our fears and our doubts and our praise. And throughout the centuries, many people have found the book of Psalms as a useful tool and an effective way to express to God God what they are feeling in their heart. And so over the next several weeks, uh, we are going to explore some of these Psalms and see how they provide just the right words even for us today, even for these emotions that we may be feeling uh, during this time. And to kick off this new series, we are going to be uh, exploring and studying words of anger. And so if you have a Bible or a Bible app that you like to use, I invite you to turn with me to Psalm chapter 7. And uh, just kind of hang on to it right there. Psalm chapter 7. Now, I I think it is fitting that uh, we are starting today with, with words of anger. We're starting this series with words of anger, and I think that it's fitting because it seems to kind of be the predominant emotion of our culture. Not just, not just recently, um, but it just seems like, you know, as a society, we are, we are constantly either angry or irritable. And if we're not there, then it doesn't take much For us to go from zero to a hundred. You know, it doesn't take much for us to ramp up to a place of being angry. And and during this coronavirus season, many people are are, are just find themselves angry. I remember remember like when all of this started, um, you know, people were talking about wrestling with feelings of of fear and anxiety and disappointment. And, And I remember the first person who told me that they were angry. And, and that, like, I had not experienced that in the, by, at that moment, but they said it. And it's was like, oh yeah, you know what? That, that makes a lot of sense that, that people during this time would experience a predominant emotion of, of anger. You're angry at all of the ways that this has disrupted our, your life and, and routines. Maybe you're angry at everything that is taken away. Things like graduations that, that, man, you've been working so hard towards. It's taken away the opportunity to be there uh, for the birth of a grandchild, a niece, a nephew. It's taken away the opportunity to be with family after the death of a loved one. And maybe you lost your job or your hours were cut back. Others are missing time with their family. Some are angry because because they feel like things um, just aren't reopening quickly enough. Like, let's just forget about all this. It's all just, we're making too big of a deal about this. Let's just open up wide open and and get back at it. And and others find themselves angry on the exact opposite end of the spectrum. And they're saying, we are being way too flippant about this. We need to slow down. And, And they're angry because things are reopening too quickly. And we get angry at people who don't see the world through the same lenses that we do. And too often, when, when our worldviews or when our views just in general don't align, what most people do is they attack. They lash out. They use words verbally or, or post them in social media to tear others down, to, to throw insults and belittle each other with their words. It's amazing how in, in, in the heat of anger, we rarely have a hard time finding words to say. They're just not typically the right words to say. And when you really begin to boil it down, most of what we get angry about has more to do with some kind of perceived inconvenience that we may feel momentarily. I mean, think about it. Someone cuts us off in traffic or takes the parking spot that we had eyed. They, they did something that we felt was inconsiderate or we had to wait in line longer than we thought that we should have. And so we demand to speak to a manager. Our food comes out maybe just a little cooler than what we had expected. And we get angry and start making all sorts of demands. And most of our anger, most of my anger stems from an inconvenience born out of entitlement. I feel like I'm owed something or I deserve something. And if I don't get it, then I get angry. And my guess is that I'm not alone. And as a follower of Jesus, I've had to come face to face with my own brokenness and repent from my sinful expressions of anger over the years. Paul tells us in, in Colossians chapter three verse eight, "To rid yourselves of all such things as these: anger right out the gate, the very first one." And then he kind of gives some synonyms here. Rid yourselves of things such as anger and rage in malice and slander and filthy language from your lips. All of which have come out of me in those times when I feel like I've been wronged. But by God's grace, I continue to crucify that part of me with Christ so that it no longer lives where he wants to reign. And every now and then it still pops up and I have to go through the process of nailing it to the cross one more time. And God wants you to do the same with your anger But what do we do in those moments when our feelings of anger aren't about our inconvenience, but about someone else's injustice? Maybe even about your own injustice. I'm sure that like me, many of you have been outraged by the needless, brutal Murders of two black men in our country over the last month. One who was uh, chased down while he was jogging through a neighborhood. Something that I do um, several times a week and don't even give it a second thought. This man's life was taken from him by people who thought it was their duty um, to question him. Other being begging for his life while it's being choked out of him. And unfortunately, these are just two of many recent examples, and and these were, were men who were beautifully created and crafted by their Creator in their mother's womb, and their lives mattered. And those times it becomes a little bit harder to find just the right words to say, doesn't it? We struggle. I struggle. And many times, if I'm honest, I found myself staying silent, not wanting to, to interject myself into a conversation that can quickly bring out anger in me or in someone else. And, and there are some uh, well, well-meaning people. There are some people who will say that's exactly where we need to be. That's, that's exactly where we should remain. Just silent. We, we ought to do everything within our power to keep the peace, to, to live quietly and avoid feelings of anger. But I think that view sees all anger as being rooted in sin. Okay, listen, listen to me. Th- that view that, hey, let's just push this aside. Don't be angry. Ignore it. Stay silent. I think that view sees all anger as being rooted in sin when there are times when anger against sin and evil is rooted in love for what is good and what is right. It's a different anger than just being upset about our inconvenience. Some call it a righteous anger. Now, to be clear, we are very good at self righteous anger. And we are even better at um, justifying our self righteous anger as righteous anger. But here's where I think the difference lies self righteous anger elicits a reaction, whereas I believe righteous anger elicits a response. Self-righteous anger brings a quick reaction that wants immediate justice. Self-righteous anger mirrors our outrage culture that burns for a little while, but extinguishes quickly until the next headline grabs its attention. Righteous anger, however, is meant to elicit a response to move us to action from a posture of humility and grace and love when we see injustice of any kind. In an article on social injustice, Amy DiMarcangelo writes this. She says, refusing to get our hands dirty in the messy pursuit of justice only ends up staining them with guilt. In other words, to do nothing is absolutely doing something. To say nothing is absolutely saying something. Godly anger stands in the gap caused by injustice. It cries out for God's way of living and for his kingdom to come in a world that is under Satan's power. Godly anger stands with those who feel the weight of living in a world that is broken and full of sin. It stands with them and for them so that they do not feel alone. And in these moments, our black brothers and sisters, friends and neighbors, they need to know that they are not alone They need us to stand up and say that their lives matter because they have been beautifully woven together by their creator who loves them just as much as he loves anyone else. Again, the Apostle Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 9, love must be sincere. There's a depth to the type of love that we have when it's expressed from faith in Christ. And it must be sincere. But then look what he says next. He says, hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. I think it's interesting that the the very first example of sincere love that Paul gives us is hating what is evil. And you can't get around the strength of that word. The, The word hate in Greek means to detest with horror. It doesn't pull any punches to detest with horror. And I think it's safe to say that it is ungodly to be apathetic towards the evil of injustice, any injustice. It is unloving to not be angry in the face of evil, even if we are not the ones who experience it. Let me say it like this. If your inconvenience makes you more angry than someone else's injustice. And you may be wrestling and struggling with self-righteous anger. And you are definitely missing the heart of Jesus. So how can we respond? In these moments with um, righteous anger. These moments when we see injustice in our world and we struggle to find just the right words to say. I think that David gives us a a good guide to follow here. Look at it with me. Psalm chapter seven, starting in verse one. David writes these words, Lord, my God, I take refuge in you. Save and deliver me from all who pursue me. Or they will tear me apart like a lion and rip me to pieces with no one to rescue me. And so as David is writing this Psalm, he, he is being pursued and running for his life. We, we don't know the exact context here. Uh, the pretext, you know, some Psalms give a little bit of context there. And if you look at it, it gives some of that, but we don't have really any scripture reference to know um, what exactly this situation was, but we can glean from the rest of the Psalm that David is experiencing some kind of injustice and he's feeling angry about it. He's running for his, his life and, 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 and when he writes this psalm, he uses some imprecatory language in, in this psalm. Imprecatory language, uh, there are words, you know, crying out for God to, to, to cast his judgment on those who are pursuing his life. Imprecatory language is some of the, the strongest language that we read in scripture. We don't even read it that often. It's so strong. It's reserved for these times where a severe injustice is happening. But David uses these words in this psalm. And so we get the sense that he is angry at what he feels like is this injustice that he is experiencing. And I think the first thing that we can learn from these these words of David is that in these times when we are just angry, man, take your anger to God. Take your anger to God. Don't take it to others. Don't let it fester. Take your anger right to God in prayer and surrender to him. I don't know about you, but when, when I find myself getting angry, it's usually because things feel like they are out of my control. And and so, you know, just like a car that runs off of the road, you sometimes overcorrect and it causes more damage. I think that's what some people do when they feel like they're starting to lose control, we overcorrect and we try to get control back again. And so it's why so many people react in their anger by sending a strongly worded email without giving a little bit of time for their emotions to calm down. It's why they raise their voice to try to intimidate others. When we're angry, we feel out of control. And when we feel out of control, many of us lash out trying to regain that. There's a fear inside of us that we're not going to be able to gain control again. But David says that he takes refuge in the Lord. He gives up his false sense of control to the one who is actually In control To the one who holds the entire world, the entire universe in his hands. And when we run to our refuge in prayer during those times when we feel angry, we remind ourselves that God is in control, not us. He knows the pain of this broken world better and more than any of us ever will. And when we take the anger that we feel over that brokenness to him, he will guide us through it. And he will give our souls rest in the midst of it. David continues in verse three. He says, Lord, my God, if I have done this and there is guilt on my hands, if I have repaid my ally with evil or without cause have robbed my foe, then let my enemy pursue and overtake me. Let him trample my life to the ground and make me sleep in the dust. And don't miss this. What David does here before David lashes out on his enemies and calls for God's judgment over those who are pursuing his life, he stops to examine his own heart. And I think that's just a good practice for all of us to implement. When you feel anger starting to rise up within you, just breathe, stop, and examine your heart. Before you call out the evil in others, really search your own heart for the evil that resides in you. Recognize the ways that you have contributed to the brokenness and pain in this world, just like we all have. Recognize and acknowledge ways that you have contributed to the brokenness and pain in someone else's life, just like all of us have. Jesus puts it like this in Matthew chapter 7, verse 3 through 5. He says, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, here, hey, come here, let me take that speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your your brother's eye, in your anger. If you desire to make a righteous response rather than a self-righteous reaction, slow down long enough to examine your heart and confess your sin. And remember that all of us contribute to the pain and brokenness in this world in one way or another. Verse six, arise Lord in your anger. Rise up against the rage of my enemies. Awake, my God. Decree justice. Let the assembled peoples gather around you while you sit enthroned over them, Lord. Let the Lord judge the people. I don't know about you, but when I'm angry, I, I'm quick to um, become the judge, the jury, and the executioner. <laughs> But what I found in life is that it never works out well when I try to do God's job for him. Like when I, when I look and I say, hey God, I got it from here and I try to pick it up. Like I'm not going to get this employee of the month plaque <laughs> for trying to do God's job. Because he can do it much better than I can. And David paints this picture of a courtroom where God alone sits on the judgment seat. And when we are angry at how someone has treated us or at the injustice that we see in others, I think David would advise us to let God be the judge. One day he will deliver a verdict against all evil in this world so that we don't have to. And knowing that, it frees us up to simply love and forgive others and work towards reconciling the pain that sin causes which leads to verse nine. David says, bring an end to the violence of the wicked and make the righteous secure. You, the righteous God who probes minds and hearts. David cries out for God to do something about the injustice all around him. And and, and we see all throughout scripture, all throughout history, that God's plan has always been accomplished through God's people. He has sent us out as followers of Jesus to bring his kingdom just a little bit closer to earth. And so after we have surrendered control to the Lord, after we have examined the wickedness within our own hearts, and after we have submitted to him as the righteous judge, then then I believe we can take part in what God is doing to stop injustice. We can take this anger that we feel and work towards a response rather than just having a reaction. And I know many of us, many of us have been asking this week, how can I do that? What can I do in the midst of all that's going on? And here in a moment, we're going to have a bit of an extended conversation about that. But let me just quickly share with you some of how I've processed this over the last week. And maybe it'll help you too if if you're wondering what you can do. First, I believe that any meaningful change starts with listening and learning before speaking and teaching. It starts with listening and learning before speaking and teaching, seeking to understand more than being understood. And so this week in between moving into our new home and painting walls and unpacking boxes, I've taken every opportunity I can to listen to read, to ask questions. And a resource that I found incredibly helpful for this, beyond talking to friends and members of our church, a resource that I found incredibly helpful is this website, bethebridge.com. And if you're serious about working towards racial reconciliation, this website is an incredible place to start. The second thing I've been doing is reflecting on how Jesus would have responded to this. I think many of us have been doing that. Everyone wants to talk about taking a stand and what their position is. And those things are important to an extent. But I think that Jesus would have been much more interested in his posture towards those experiencing injustice rather than his position. See, a position is a statement posture is an action. And throughout his life, we see Jesus taking the posture of a servant. And so as I've reflected on how I want to respond, the one conclusion that I've come to is, is that I want to take the posture of Jesus and humbly come alongside of those affected by racism I want to learn from them. I want to stand with them as a leader. I want to help us all within the church to do and be better. I want to do my small part to facilitate a nonviolent and constructive end to racism because, hear me, there is no place in the kingdom of God or the heart of followers of Jesus for racism. No place. And while I strongly condemn police brutality, I also recognize that a few bad apples cast a shadow on the overwhelming majority of our law enforcement officers who take seriously their call to serve and protect. And so I want to support them because the disgraceful actions of a few is in no way reflective of the grace and the dignity in which They do their job and which many of you watching right now do your job. So those are just some of the ways that I've been processing what I can do to take part in what God is doing to end injustice. Let me close with this in verse 17. David writes these words. He says, I will give thanks to the Lord Because of his righteousness, I will sing the praises of the name of the Lord Most High. What I love about this is that in the midst of injustice, in the midst of his anger, David reaffirms his love and devotion to God and his commitment to worship him. And he uses a word that, that is repeated multiple times throughout this psalm. It's the word righteousness, meaning that God is right in all of his actions. God is right in all that he does. And the truth is, I'm not. And neither are you. And there are many times when I need the love and the forgiveness of others, but especially of God. You see, all of us are sinful. All of us are in need of the grace and forgiveness that only comes through faith in Jesus. And it starts when you recognize your own guilt before a righteous judge. There is none who are righteous. No, not one. All of us stand condemned before a righteous judge. But the hope that we have in Christ is that in the darkest hour of history, when it seemed like evil and injustice had won, God overcame the grave. Jesus defeated death and our sins were forgiven. And so as we close, we want to remember Jesus' life, death, and resurrection through communion. We want to reflect on the hope that it brings for all of us who will one day stand before our righteous judge, hope that we will be forgiven, not because of anything that we have done, but because of what God did on our behalf through Jesus. When he bore the weight of our sin and our guilt on the cross so that we could be forgiven. So if you have the elements with you. Let's share in this now. We take the bread that helps us remember Christ's body that was given for us was pierced on the cross and that by his wounds we are healed and that one day by his wounds not just our lives will be healed This world will be healed of all of the injustice, of all of the racism. We take this to remember that. We take the juice to remember his blood that was shed so that our sins could be washed away and that we could be made white as snow with a righteousness that has been given to us through Christ. Father, oh God, I cry out to you this morning, Lord, with a heavy heart, not just for our nation, but, but for men and women in our country and around the world who experience things that that I will never know. Pains that I will never feel, that that my girls will never feel. Father, may our hearts align with yours. May we not be interested in a stance or... A position, but, but taking the posture of Jesus, being moved by compassion and love and doing something to make a difference. Lord, hold us to that individually and as a church and guide us, Father, guide us as we seek to bring peace in the midst of of a time that is so filled with chaos, so filled with anger. Lord, may we point people to you and the hope that is found only in Jesus. In his name I pray. Amen.